This morning, <clears throat> this morning, I'm thinking about two things I hear people say. <clears throat> you might hear them too. The first thing is, no one's going to tell me what to do. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Sometime back in February, someone I know was on an early morning market errand when she hopped over some snow and landed on a patch of black ice on a brick sidewalk outside Central Market. A relatively healthy woman who seldom has a bruise, she came down hard and broke her arm and severely injured her right hip and pelvis area. Two hours later, when Phyllis and I were sitting in the emergency room waiting for the test results, we could hear the elderly man in the next examination area causing quite a ruckus. We could hear the medical staff telling him he needed to put on a mask before they could treat him. But he loudly challenged them saying, no one's gonna take away my freedom. You can't force me. We heard different nurses and doctors and supervisors and finally security officers come and go each trying to persuade this very loud man that he needed to put on a mask before they could attend to his emergency. But he was adamant, no one's gonna tell me what to do. At one point, we heard a supervisor come and identify himself and say, sir, do you remember that several months ago, you were here in the emergency room and we went through this same thing with you needing our help, but refusing to wear a mask. And then several weeks later, you came back and apologized for your behavior. Do you remember that? So what? No one's gonna take away my freedom and tell me what to do. This went on for about a half hour, different staff members trying different tactics to get this disruptive patient to put on a mask so they could care for his emergency but the man was very stubborn. All the time we were waiting for Phyllis's test results. Finally, the staff were able to contact his daughter <clears throat> and she came to take away her very loud father and took him home, unmasked and untreated. Sort of makes you think, doesn't it? How much help from others do I forego in order to guarantee that I'm in control of things, independent, not bound by the wishes of others. I know it's tempting and commonplace to stereotype this attitude as being more frequent, maybe, among conservatives, but I've found so-called progressives to be just as reluctant to invite the opinions of persons whom they consider maybe more lowly or less qualified why is it so hard for me to value your opinions, your welfare, your life story as much as my own? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me who to care about. Makes you sort of think, doesn't it? A second thing I hear sometimes is no one's ever had it this hard. Ever hear that one? 
No one's ever had it as bad as we do. It's certainly something I'm tempted to think at times myself. Why do things go so smoothly for other people? Why does everything go so well for them? Has it ever occurred to you that your hardships are worse than other people's? Why is life so unfair to you? I've also noticed that many of us are tempted to assume that our difficulties and hardships are much bigger than those of earlier generations. Ever hear that? Our issues and troubles are so complex compared to what people used to have to deal with. They used to think about what to do with a sick cow or whether or not to buy a television. Problems and challenges used to be so simple in comparison to what we face today, right? Interesting how easy it is to belittle the struggles of those who have lived before us. When we permit ourselves to see ourselves as the center of history, then that's easier to do. I don't mean to minimize the challenges we've been through. I admit we've been through a pretty rough 14 months, a pandemic, a scary unseen killer on the loose, economic upheaval and bankruptcy, 3 million dead around the world and counting. A hundred years ago, almost exactly, my grandmother Good died during another worldwide pandemic. It was called the Spanish flu. My dad was just five years old. But that time, a hundred million souls were lost around the world, a hundred million. A terrible pandemic, 10 or 20 times worse than our current plague. And they didn't have 24 seven news channels to tell them what was going on. I'm just saying, if we know our history, it's difficult to say no one's ever had it this bad. On this Mother's Day, I remember an evening a long time ago, I must have been six or seven. I was alone with my mother in the room we called the dining room in our farmhouse, sort of a family room too. The sun was falling to the west over Pine Hill, reflecting off the Hammer Creek, which flowed through our meadow below the house. A nice warm evening. And as mother was finishing her reading of a touching story to me from Youth's Christian Companion, YCC, she wandered into a memory of her own. And as a young boy, I was startled to see my mother's eyes filling with tears. That almost never happened. She told me about how when she was 16 years old, her mother died in the, in the diphtheria epidemic. That's right, I never met either of my real grandmas. Diphtheria was terrible. Her family was quarantined. Her older brother, Victor, who worked away from home could not come home. And as the eldest daughter at age 16, she had to step into her mother's shoes. It was a hard time. In a little over a year, my mother lost her mother, her grandmother, 
and her favorite aunt. She went from looking forward to her teenage years to suddenly being an adult, responsible for the household, caring for her siblings, and for a father crushed with grief. Why do we assume that grief and loss were easier years ago? Was the death of a spouse 100 years ago not, not a big deal compared to whether it would happen to you or me? Paul wrote that we should weep with those who weep. He wasn't very practical, was he? How can we weep that much and not be dead ourselves? Even in ordinary times, it seems an impossible ideal. Mourn with those who are mourning. But during a time of such worldwide devastation, such economic uncertainty and displacement, each person for herself, so much separation and suspicion, so much waste and ruin and loss. Am I supposed to grieve and weep for each of you in this congregation for all of your losses and hurts? Not to mention the tens of thousands all around us in this city? Or the millions in India? Weep with those who weep. Well, how can I cry that much? But Paul didn't stop there. He went on to ask us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Join in the joys and bright moments of everyone we know and all those we don't know. Sounds pretty impossible to me. For many of us, this past year has been quite difficult and challenging. Knowing when and how to weep and to rejoice may have seemed like a puzzle. My suggestion this morning is that when we honor the hardships and losses and separations suffered by others, even the generations that went before us, in the end, it's about respect, isn't it? When we respect the tears and joys of others, including the generations before us, we may gain new perspective on our own joys and tears Instead of, no one's going to tell me what to do, I might find myself saying, what can I learn from the experiences of others? And how can I be more supportive? One time my mother told me that during that terrible summer of the diphtheria epidemic, when the chores were finished, she would go out on the back porch to be alone and she would <clears throat> often dissolve into tears as she thought <clears throat> about her mother, her grandmother, and her aunt. But one time her father caught her out there crying, and he reprimanded her and said, Get hold of yourself. Your sisters and brothers need you. 
So my mother gave up going out to the back porch to cry. A number of years ago, several of us learned that about that same time, the, far, the farmer on the neighboring farm noticed that mother's mother, I'm sorry, mother's father, my grandpa, would go out into the cornfield at times and walk deep into the corn where he thought no one could see or hear him. And he would weep aloud from his deep sense of loss and grief as he remembered his beloved, beloved Cora. And his neighbor could hear Grandpa weeping. It was so sad. Until one day the neighbor farmer confronted mother's father and told him he had to get hold of himself and stop this pattern of going to the cornfield to weep because your children need you. The same thing the father was telling the daughter was the same thing the neighbor was telling the father. But how do we get hold of ourselves? Is there a shortcut through crippling loss and crushing sorrow? Not that I'm aware of. But it can sometimes be perhaps less devastating if we have each other. Comfort can come from others. Jesus said, those who know what sorrow means will be given courage and comfort. Those who know what sorrow means will be given courage and comfort. So instead of no one's going to tell me what to do and no, one, no one's ever had it as bad as I have it, I may find in the community, we may find in the community of each other, the strength, the comfort, and the perspective that Jesus promises. May it be so. Thank you.